0: We're going to go ahead and, and continue on in our, our, our series on Second Peter. So today we're going to make it through the, the second half of Second Peter. And you remember that last week, we, we, in the first half, we, we basically learned two things from Peter as he was teaching us. And it was two things about the Christian experience. How I many you know it's an experience to be a Christian? It's a good experience as far as I'm concerned. I, you know, people that, that say that uh, uh, it's boring to be a Christian, they're just not doing it right. But the the part of the Christian experience that he began to talk about was one, he taught us that his divine power granted us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. And what that meant was that what he accomplished actually allows us to truly live both here on this earth, but also eternally as well. His divine power has given us everything that we ever need to be successful, to be victorious, to be holy, to be pure, to be righteous. What he accomplished inside of us gave us the ability and the power to do all of that. In addition, what he has accomplished, it released us from the bondage of sin and death that wouldn't allow us to live in godliness. Because you remember uh, what we learned last week was godliness, living in godliness is to live godlike, to make decisions like God would do, to actually do what is right. How many know it's important to do what is right? This also means to look like Jesus. If you ever want to know how to live your life, you just read the, the, the account of what, how Jesus lived. Just look like him and you'll be okay. And we also learned that we escaped the corruption that it is in this world. How many of know that's a good thing? You know, uh, Paul talked about in the book of Romans, he says, he's talking about the, the two natures, the, the old man and the new man. Before you were born again, you were actually in bondage to sin. You were a slave to sin. There was nothing you could do. You could not live your life without sinning because sin had a hold on you. But When you're born again, you're set free. That's the new nature where you actually have the ability to live as God intended you to live. Now I realize and I recognize that in our lives, it, sometimes we don't have a full revelation of that, and sometimes we trip and stumble. But I am, to me, my, my favorite verse is Jude 124 that says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, I love the fact that I have the ability to live without sin. I don't always do it perfectly. Matter of fact, I, I fall more often than I would care to admit. But to know that it's possible, that he has taken care of everything, he has given me everything to be able to do that, it just blows me away. And that's what I strive for every day. The, The measure and stature of Jesus Christ, he is our plumb line. I strive every day to look more and more like him. And basically, the second thing that he taught us, though, is that because God has accomplished this inside of you, he's given you, by his divine power, given you everything that pertains to life and godliness, because of this, we should live in a certain way that reflects the reality of what has been accomplished inside of us. How many of you guys know that faith is an action word? Faith is an action word. How many of you know Peter had faith? How do we know he had faith? Because he stepped out of the boat. It's really easy to say that you believe something but never act on it. It's like the, uh, the guy who used to, to take the wheelbarrow across uh, Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And the first thing he does, is he goes over with an empty wheelbarrow, goes over across the tightrope over Niagara Falls, and he comes back. And he asks everybody, How many of you guys believe that I can take a sack of potatoes in this wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And I was like, Oh, we believe, we believe. So he threw a sack of potatoes in the, in the, in the, the wheelbarrow and he walks all the way across. And he comes back and says, "All right, now, how many believe that I could take a person inside this wheelbarrow across in the tightrope?" And everyone said, "We believe, we believe." And he said, "All right, one of you get in the t- get, get in the wheelbarrow." <laughs> you see, faith is an action word. If they really believed him, they'd have no problem getting in the wheelbarrow, right? <laughs> faith, real faith, saving faith, should result in ways of living that demonstrate the tangible reality of what has happened inside of you. And the characteristics, if you recall, that he talked about, they were virtue, which was what? Moral excellence. And knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Those characteristics should be demonstrated in your life because of what has been accomplished inside of you. And you can say, Pastor, but I'm not really a loving person. That's okay. Jesus changed you. You were made in his image, and and he's a loving person. God is a loving God, and you were made in his image to to, to bear those characteristics. Now, true, before you were saved, you may have been an awful person. We probably wouldn't have liked to know you. But now that you're born again, you're not who you used to be. You were somebody else. You are brand new. That's why uh, the Bible says that this is, you know, we we resolve not to know you except according to Christ. Because it's not your failures that define you. It's what Christ did that defines you. And the thing is, is that when we live with those characteristics, the virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, and just love, that those actions are the results of a real faith understanding what Christ has accomplished inside of us. And the truth is, is that we are all working every day to grow more and more in each and every one of those areas. I know people that they got saved and their life was radically changed. The moment they said, yes, everything changed, God bless them, that didn't happen to me. It took, me some, it took me some living out my faith. Now, I'm happy for them, but some things I'm like, oh, why can't you just remove that from me? Why do I still... And I don't know why it's different for some people. But the reality is, is that every day we grow more and more. We get closer and closer. The only way to fail as a Christian is to not get back up. is to not move forward. So if the first half of that letter was about the Christian experience... The second half is about how that experience is divine, divine, defined by the Word of God. What I mean by that is, as Peter's describing this, he didn't just pull it out of the blue. This isn't something that he just made up on the spot. And our experience shouldn't be either. Our experience as a Christian needs to be grounded on the solid foundation of the Word of God. Most of this letter, Peter is, is, is firmly dealing with false teachers and prophets. It gets exciting. Next, next chapter, he starts railing on some people that were doing the wrong thing. And that's what, what Peter's really dealing with. But he's saying, what I'm teaching you, these guys, I don't know where they're getting what they're coming from. It's crazy. But what I'm teaching you is, is founded on the Word of God. It's founded on prophecy. It has a solid foundation. And as Christians, we need to, to know and actually have a revelation of God's Word in order to live it out. How many of you can, will, will know what your Christian experience is supposed to look at if you never read the Bible and see what was supposed to happen inside of you? The good news is you can hear me say it all day long, that you're pure, that you're holy, that you're righteous, and it's good that you hear it, but how many of you know that, that the Word of Pastor Wayne doesn't produce faith in the hearers? It's the Word of God that produces faith, right? How does faith come? By hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Read his word. You need to hear his word. You need to let that permeate inside of you because that is what produces faith in your life. And that is what's going to allow you to grow. If you never actually read the Bible, how are you going to know what you're supposed to look like as a Christian? And just as important do we need to know what to know what we're supposed to look like. But if you don't know the word, how will you know when when somebody comes up and when a wolf comes up in sheep's clothing and tells you something that's not quite right? How will you know that it's wrong? The truth is, is that you need to be judging every word that is preached to you, even me when I'm up here. You need to be reading your Bible and say, is what he's talking about true, or is he just full of it? Because I'm responsible for what I teach, but you're responsible for what you ingest. Read his words. That way, if I say something crazy, you can say, Pastor Wayne, but this is what it says here. And we can talk about it. I'm not perfect. I'm I'm not beyond making a mistake. If I say something that's not according to the Word of God, I should be called on it, just like you should. We need to know what God's word is so that we're not taken for a ride, so that we're not deceived. And the reality is, in today's world, I'm seeing the Word of God stretched and twisted all too often. And the worst part is, is they do it in such a way that it sounds great. It sounds right. It sounds good. If you don't have a foundation in the Word of God, then how would you know that it's not right? And you combine that kind of stuff with today's culture, and and you can actually make the acceptance of sin look like a Christian thing to do. You don't know, believe me? You know how many churches right now that are that are affirming of homosexuality? How many uh, churches are affirming of 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 uh, Gender dysphoria and all of those kind of things. Really, there's even churches that are accepting of abortion, which blows my mind. Because the reality is, is that all life is valuable, whether it's in the womb or it's not in the womb. But if you don't have a foundation in the Word of God, if you don't understand those things, then you can easily be deceived because all of a sudden, it seems like uh, allowing sin to move on, it seems like the Christian accepting thing to do. Oh, if you loved them, you would let them do whatever they wanted. If I love you, I'm not going to let you murder. If I love you, I'm not going to let you sin. If, he, if I love you, I'm not going to let you play in the street, in the middle of the interstate. That's not even a sin. The thing is, is that we get into a situation where the Word of God, oh no, you're supposed to not judge anyone. When well, That's actually not what the, what the Bible says. We're not to, to judge unbelievers, but we are to hold believers to an account. And to be clear, I'm not talking about the people. God, Jesus went to the cross for every single person, no matter what they've done, no matter what sin they're involved in, no matter no matter any of that stuff, I'm not talking about the people. And the truth is, one of the biggest lies this world tells you today is that if you don't agree with somebody, you don't love me. Love them, and that's nonsense. You can love people and not agree with them. Anybody that's a parent knows that. You see, the thing is, is that people that... that live even in socially acceptable sin they're always welcome here we're going to invite them in and we're going to love them but we're going to pray that God does something in them so they're not stuck in the state where they're in after introducing somebody to Christ letting them continue to live in the bondage of sin that just seems kind of crazy to me even it's it's even more crazy because it's somebody that's been set free but they're choosing to stay in that bondage. It's like the, the, the gate has been held wide open. The key has been put in. The, the walls have torn down, but they're afraid to leave the boundaries. It's like when you train a dog with those underground wires, there's actually nothing there. If they just ran hard enough, fast enough, they'd get right through it. What happens in Christianity is you're set free. The walls are taken down. There's not even something to zap you on the way through. But we're so used to being in those walls and that bondage that we're afraid to move through it. And that's a heartbreaking situation when you've been set free from all of those things. But if you don't know the word of God, it's so easy to uh, get deceived and it's so easy to rationalize sin. But the reality is, is that Jesus' divine power has set us free from the corruption of sin. Amen. In 2 Peter 1:12 through 12-15, it says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things." If any of you guys have been with us for several years, you'll know that every year, and we're actually getting ready to start again, our, our anniversary will be seven years as a church on, on March 31st, the, probably the week directly after that, or maybe even starting on that Sunday, I don't know, we haven't decided yet, we'll begin our culture series, and I do it every single year, and it's about uh, nine or ten weeks of messages that are designed to teach you who we are as a church, what we believe as a church, what our culture is here at Living Hope Family Church. And I do it every single year. And uh, it's going to cover some of the basics, right? It's going to cover salvation. It's going to cover the gospel. It's going to cover the gifts of the Spirit. It's going to cover um, how we worship, all of those things. But it's, for the most part, the same messages every single year. Now, we change them up a little bit, and the truth is, is that we probably couldn't preach an identical message even if we tried. But they're the the same foundation, the same principle. It's the same thing every year. And and one of the things that... uh, that I think about is, is is this really a good idea to teach the same thing every year? But every time I think about it, I continue to do it for two reasons. First is, there's a lot of new faces in here that have never heard those messages. They don't know who we are as a church. They've never had the opportunity to hear that, to really dig into the culture of who we are. So one, I want to know, for people that have never heard it before, I want them to be able to hear those things. But the second is this. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Turns out it's a good thing if we get reminded of some stuff every now and then. That's what Peter's doing here. He begins to, to, to tell them of some stuff that they already know. The truth is, if you've been in church in a long time, you've probably heard most of it. But the reality is is that every time you hear it, it, one, it can help strengthen and and reiterate those things in your heart. It'll help you remember things that you forgot. You see, what what Peter was teaching here when he was talking about have these qualities in addition to your faith, what he was talking about, this wasn't something new. This isn't the first time that they are hearing it. This isn't groundbreaking teaching that that Peter just uh, pulled out of nowhere, but this is actually Discipleship 101. This is the basics. And they had already been taught this. As a matter of fact, you'll see in a second, they've actually already been living out these qualities. But he wanted to make sure and remind them that they, that they never use their, their salvation as a license to sin. That's another danger that we can have is this idea that, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm forgiven so I can do whatever I want. You weren't forgiven to have a license to do whatever you want. You were forgiven and set free so you were free to not do all those things that you had to do before because you were in bondage to sin. And it's interesting, he wasn't even criticizing him. It says right here that, he says, you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So these people, they're not even messing up. It's not even that kind of reminder. It's just like they, they know what they're doing, It, but hey, don't forget because that's, I think that's a real danger that we have as Christians, is that we forget. And I don't mean like, like completely pff, out of your mind forget. I mean like that temptation comes, and, and you, 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 you don't actually exercise the reality of the word in your life. And it's not that you don't really forget, but you, it's lost that uh, uh, closeness that it has before. It's almost like, I, and maybe I'm just speaking for me but it's like I know the right thing to do, but sometimes I still get caught up. And we forget if we don't regularly read the Word, if we don't regularly spend time in prayer, if we don't regularly press in, we forget. And the enemy begins to sneak his way into your life. And then temptation goes from something that is an annoyance and easily resisted to something that is, is coming down on you so hard, it's an unignorable assault that you ultimately succumb to. And it's because you forget Because the word isn't near to you. It's not in your heart. It's it's available intellectually. But it's not available deep inside your heart. And the best way that I know about it. Talks about it being filled with the Holy Spirit too. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible it says. The same people were were filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. Turns out we leak. So you got to keep filling back up. You got to keep it close. You got to keep it fresh in your mind. (coughs) You know what? That's why only hearing the word of God on a Sunday mornings is not enough. If this is the only time that you ever hear the word of God preached, I don't know how you make it throughout your week. This is not enough. Even coming in every church service that we have, if you came on Wednesdays and Sundays and you went to youth, it still wouldn't be enough. You have to have time on your own where you're spending time in your word, spending time in prayer. You need to be reminded of these things, these promises, daily, so you don't forget. And Peter says, so as long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep reminding you of these fundamental truths. He says, I think it's right as long as I'm in this body. As long as I am alive, I'm going to keep reminding this. Because he knew his time was limited. Matter of fact, he says right here, he says, I know that I'm putting off, the putting off of my body will be soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. I like how he doesn't say that my death is coming soon. Because he's, he's not going to die. He's going to live forever. He's eternal life in Christ. He says, But I am going to be putting off this body. He knows that the time was coming soon. Matter of fact, Jesus already told him how it, was come, how it would come. If you remember in John twenty-one eighteen, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And tradition says that Peter was actually crucified in Rome. Matter of fact, the tradition says that he was, he was crucified on an X and not a regular cross because he didn't figure he was worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus Christ was. So when you read that now, that makes sense. When he got older, someone <laughs> held out his hands, they dressed him, and they took him somewhere he didn't want to go. But he knew it was coming soon. He says, you know what? As long as I'm here, I'm going to keep reminding you. Stir you up by way of reminder, and he says, I'm going to make every effort So that after my departure you may be able to at any time recall these things. He says, I'm going to drill it in so much that you don't need me around to remind you anymore. Because it will come to your remembrance. Because he wanted to make sure that even after his death that they would never be led astray. And then he continues on in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. Of his Majesty. Peter's now going to remind them of the authority and the gravitas behind what he was teaching. You see, these weren't just clever stories made to keep people in line. You know, there's all kinds of clever stories throughout history where you see parables and all these things. They're clever stories designed to produce an outcome or manipulate people in some way. And truthfully, manipulation is not always bad. It <laughs> depends on what you're manipulating them to. But you see these stories, and, and, and Peter's saying, listen, guys, these aren't cleverly devised myths. These aren't something that we just made up out of thin air. But, and it's, these aren't stories that have no foundation or no basis in fact or reality. This isn't just something I, I made up because it sounded pretty. And you've got to remember, the time when this is coming is, is, is a time when Greek mythology was all the rage. This is what they were living on. The Greek mythology... Uh, was full of these types of myths and fables. Right? You remember the the story of the dude that flew too close to the sun with his wax wings and it melting? It was basically just a parable, a story, a myth to tell you. Don't don't get too big for your britches. All kinds of myths and stories were going around in the day at this time. And they, they were made up. They had no basis in fact or reality. They had no foundation to them. And he says... We need to be careful of these things. And you understand that what I'm teaching you is not the same as that. Matter of fact, there were so many myths going around. I mean, there's entire studies devoted now to Greek mythology. I mean, there's the disciplines that are designed to just study those things. And the truth is, the Greek myths weren't even the only ones they had to be aware of. You remember that Paul, he warned, he warned uh, uh, Titus to be aware of Jewish myths. He's making a distinction. These aren't made-up stories. What I'm telling you is, is founded and based in reality. The word translated to myth here was often used negatively for untrue accounts about gods. And myths were often contrasted in those days to eyewitness accounts. That was the contrast, one one based in reality, an eyewitness account, one just made up. It was a false or untrue story. And Peter's telling them, listen, guys, my teaching was based on an eyewitness account. It wasn't hearsay. It was his own eyewitness testimony. He saw it with his own eyes to see this stuff actually happening. It wasn't a clever story made up to elevate their status in front of Christians. Too many people that want to be up here in the limelight, they, they manipulate stuff so they can be elevated. He said, that's not what this is. He saw who the reality of Jesus was with his own eyes because he was there, as we're going to see, talked a little bit more about it, for the transfiguration. It was him, James, and John. They were the only three that were there. And he saw Jesus in his full majesty and his full glory before anybody else ever did. And then he was also in the city when Christ was crucified. So he knew that that happened. He was there when Jesus appeared to them again. You remember the ladies came and ran and grabbed Peter and said, look, he's not in his tomb. So we saw that this isn't something that he, he heard second, third, and fourth hand. He was an eyewitness account of all of these things. This story of Jesus wasn't something that was made up. And it's, as a result, the Christian faith, the same faith that we subscribe to, the same faith that we ourselves live in is not based on myths or false stories, like the doctrines of the false teachers that he's going to be dealing with here shortly. But it was instead based on historical fact and eyewitness accounts. I was listening to, uh, I always forget his name, but he's he's, he's an, he's an uh, apologist, and the name of his YouTube channel is called Cross-Examine. And he, he said something interesting I was listening to on the way to church today. He said that the uh, proving the resurrection is independent of an inerrant Bible, and what he was saying was, is that you actually, because that's one of the things that people argue, right? The Bible's not true; it's got all kinds of errors in it. You know, there's translation issues, or there's you know issues where the copies don't mash up and mistakes in transcription. They want to say though the Bible's not inerrant, and he said, but you know what? The Bible doesn't have to be inerrant. Not that it isn't. He still claimed it was. Don't, don't uh, uh, go being mad at this guy because I, I said something that we misunderstood. He believes the Bible is inerrant. But he said it's not necessary to prove the resurrection. Because the resurrection happened whether there's mistakes in the Bible or not. It's a historical fact. People were there. They saw it. We can go back and look at the evidence today. And, and, and the evidence today shows that the resurrection actually happened. This isn't some clever story. It's not some clever, clever thing that we're doing. It's not a myth. Jesus really lived. He really died. And he really rose again from the grave. So what we put our faith in is not based on something that, that, that's fake. It's not based on something that's 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 made up. And Peter continues on in 2 Peter 1:17 through 18: for when he received honor and glory from the father and the voice was born and, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain you see the thing is is that peter's now solidifying his response as an eyewitness He's sharing that account of the transfiguration where, where Jesus, you remember Jesus became, uh, his face radiated, radiated light and his clothes became white, white as, as white could be. And his glory was shown. And you can read about this account. It's in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. All, three of the four gospels share this account of what happened. But you want to know something interesting about that? You know who wasn't there at the transfiguration? Matthew, Mark, or Luke. They weren't eyewitnesses of the transfiguration. Peter's saying, listen, guys, I saw Jesus in his full majesty. I saw it fully played out. It was like a sneak peek of what's to come when he comes back. Peter was there. And and Peter, James, and John were in a unique position to see the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ before he ever ascended to the Father after his death and resurrection and and the glory that we're going to see when Jesus comes back a second time. And if you remember, if you read those accounts, Peter was given instructions by Jesus not to share the story until after he had been raised from the dead. That's in Matthew 17, 9. But now he's able to share. And it's obvious either him or one of the other two shared with with, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke so that they could write it down. So they were sharing the story after Jesus' death. But they were in a unique position to say, I was actually there for that. But the interesting thing about the story of the transfiguration in so much as uh, uh, other than the fact it's an amazing supernatural event because you got to imagine that what happened there would have been an amazing sight to behold to hear the voice of God saying this is my son in whom I'm well pleased to see Jesus change in an instance in front of your eyes and you see his full. That would be amazing. But did you know that for the time that's pretty tame fantastic story. That's, that's kind of based in reality. We went to the mountain. It all happened right there. If you think of the, the Greek stories, the Greek myths, you know, those were all about, you know, somebody going on a mission. They would leave. They'd go to some special face, place. Crazy things would happen. It would all be fantastical, all of it. The interesting thing is this story is, is, is so much more based in reality than anything else of the time. There's no extra tales. There's no transferring to another realm. No, we saw all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, if you think about it, that's a whole lot more believable than, than uh, uh, what John saw in the book of Revelation. He saw some crazy stuff. They went to the mountain. Jesus changed in front of him. He transfigured before them. His clothes became pure white. His face radiated light. God spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Sometimes I think we miss that part. We're like, oh, if he's well pleased. That's awesome. Guess what? Listen to him. One of the things that that I always found interesting, and Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's a good question to ask yourself. In addition to it just being Peter, though, there were other witnesses. You know, to have an eyewitness account when you're the only one that sees it, it doesn't hold much much weight. But there were other guys who saw it as well. And the whole purpose of this whole of this whole section uh, this, these couple verses and the, and the one right here was he's trying to really drive home the point, guys, that 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 we were eyewitnesses. This actually happened. It's not something new or crazy. This isn't a fairy tale, but it's founded and based in reality and it has real power and it is real truth. Amen? And then this is the last verses we'll look at today in 2 Peter 1, 19-21. It says, Uh, Peter uses the word we in this last little section. You'll notice it over here. It says, uh, this is my beloved son. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were there with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. The third time he uses this word we, he's not talking about us and him. He's not talking about the believers he's talking about. He's actually talking about to James, uh, uh, John and himself. Because the three of them had that, that prophetic word more fully confirmed because they saw the reality of Jesus's glory. They saw him in his full majesty. Like I said previously, they were unique in that they were actually able to see this happen. And he doesn't use this to to somehow lift himself up, to elevate himself up. He's not trying to brag. He's not trying to say, listen, guys, look at me. But he, also, he really wants to point out the, about the prophetic word of God. That's where this whole thing is taking a turn. He's pointing to the word of God, to the, to the, to the written word of God, the prophecy. Because they're seeing that prophetic word of God that came first being realized in what they saw on that mountain. He's speaking of God's word that was inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit, but it was written by men. He says those words, he says, no, no scripture, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how the Bible works. The Word of, the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when, when you read the Word of God, it's, it's not the words of men, but it's the Word of God. Now it's written differently, it has different accents, because how many know that when God speaks through people, He's going to use them to write stuff down? That's why when you have very highly educated people preaching and teaching, as God's ministering through them, they, they sound different than I do. Because <coughs> I'm not so smart. But the reality is, is that it's going to sound different, particularly the, the scriptures that were written by the, the, the prophets, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they were inspired by God. Those words are, are from him himself. But Peter's referring to the Old Testament, the prophetic word of God, they don't have the New Testament quite yet. But he's referring to that, and he's saying, look, we saw it fully confirmed. And he says this word that he's talking about that's fully confirmed, this this is what you need to do well to pay attention to. He's he's not saying pay attention to my story, but pay attention to the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention to as as a lamp shining in a dark place. So my wife and I will go out for walks every now and then. And where I live, up in Gladden, uh, near Gladden Farms, the main road, Tangerine Road, is lit up like like a, an orange mercury vapor daylight. <laughs> when you walk down that road, and we, but from from our house to that main road, it's what a few blocks maybe, pitch black, because in Arizona, the, the we have light pollution laws, and it's funny. I used to hate light pollution laws. I'm like, man, why don't we just have light until I started taking pictures of the, of the Milky Way and stuff, and now I'm like, everybody turn your lights off. I can't see it well. But I, I, uh, uh, because of the light pollution laws, there's no street lights in any of our neighborhoods out there. Um, the only lights that there are are people's front porch lights. No street lights, nothing like that. So to get from our house out to that main road, you got to have a flashlight. you got to have, you know, at least your phone where you can turn the flashlight, something on, because if not... There's all kinds of dangers in the dark. And you laugh, but we've walked out there, and, and, and if you're not careful, you can walk into cobwebs. and Nobody likes walking into cobwebs at night. Or you can walk, and you can, you can, the, the, they didn't trim the trees that day, so you walk through, and you're getting hit in the head uh, in, in the pitch black by the tree branches. And, and um, when it's dark, it's anything but tree branches you think is in your head. What about the person that didn't clean up the dog poop? That's a danger. Nobody likes stepping in poop. <laughs> and I can tell you right now that we've seen our fair share of critters. I mean, we see scorpions on those roads all the time. So when it's, when it's dark, there's dangers that are there. And, and we need something to guide the way, to light the way. Because like I said, once we get to the main street, the street lamps are everywhere. And it's just uh, uh, so not a pretty orange glow over everything. Everything's just orange. But you can see everything. The path is lit. I mean, we don't need our, our extra light and we don't need anything else to see because the, the street is completely lit by the lampstands. And once we get to it, how many of you know we don't go off-roading anymore? We're not like, you know what, the light here is good, sidewalk's good, we can see everything, let's go walk in the desert. Because <laughs> the reality is, is that the world's a dangerous place where there's no light. You can fall, you can trip, you can hurt yourself, there could be sharp, there's all kinds of stuff around where there's no light that's a danger. And the reality is today's world is just like that, the world that we live in right now. And we need to flock to God's word like a lamp so it can shine and be a, a, a shine a pathway for us to know where to go, where to walk, so that we can actually see clearly in a world that is so dark that almost anything goes. And we can see the the truth and the reality of what is out there because of the light of God shining on it. And until Jesus returns, or as Peter puts it, he says, a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. We need this word of God. We need this lamp shining so that we can see clearly until Jesus returns. That's what he's speaking of to the to the return of Jesus Christ, because the reality is when Jesus returns, we're going to see him in his full glory. We're going to see and have every question, answered. all that stuff that we weren't sure about. We're going to know. And the light is going to be shined on everything. But until then, we need to stay. in the word, the light of the word of God to keep us on the right path so we can see where we're going so that the dangers and the pitfalls will be are visible to us. We have to put our trust in God's word. Because it didn't come from men, it came from Him. And we can't put our trust in some other version of the truth. And that's really what Peter's going to start dealing with uh, next week. Pastor Joseph is going to begin in chapter two. We're going to see Peter begin to to rebuke those who would use God's word to twist it for their own personal gain. Because it's not that version of the truth that we need to be pressed into. We need to be pressed into God's word that came from him. And the reality is, is that we can put our faith and our trust in his word because he is trustworthy and able to guide us. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head.